If ever there was a plum job in the world of education, Jim Shelton has landed it. Seven months ago, Shelton was hired by the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative to head up its education portfolio. CCI is the unusual new company created by Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook, and its wife, Priscilla Chan, to improve the world for the next generation. Well, that's how they put it anyway. To fund CZI, they pledged Facebook stock worth somewhere in the neighborhood of $45 billion. Health and medical projects will no doubt get the biggest share of that money, but Shelton is the guy who will write the checks for all of CZI's investments and its philanthropic donations related to education. That means he'll have a lot of sway in an organization that's going to become hugely influential. Hello and welcome to the Chronicle of Higher Education's Relearning Podcast, a look at the future of education. I'm Goldie Blumenstick. In many ways, Jim Shelton has the perfect resume for this job at this unusual organization. He's worked in, at a philanthropy for the Gates Foundation. He's worked in government. He was a top official in the Obama administration's education department. And he's held various stints at businesses focused on K-12 and higher ed, most recently at the distant ed company 2U. Shelton has yet to fully uproot to Silicon Valley. His wife and his two kids still live here in D.C. But as you'll hear, he's no stranger to that culture. I caught up with him last week while he was here in D.C. for the holidays, and both of us were fighting off colds. He said learning science will be a high priority for CZI, along with a commitment to operate, quote, with humility, while also avoiding what he calls analysis paralysis. And even though CZI and Facebook are really two separate entities, we also talked about the problems of fake news on social media and the role education needs to play in creating an informed citizenry. So other than the fact that this is clearly like one of the great dream jobs in America right now, what do you personally hope to accomplish with it? What, do you, what is it that you care a lot about that you yeah. can see making, having some impact with with the CZI? Well, I mean, one of the things that has been great is that the vision that Mark and Priscilla had is so aligned with my personal passions. Um, they, you know, set out to set up CZI to both, uh, you know, advance human potential and promote equality, um, two things that are really important to me. And so what I hope to do is to solve two of the big problems that we've had in education. One is, can we actually make dramatic improvements in learning outcomes and help teachers to do the work that they got into education to do? And can you also figure out how to take those things that are working in terms of practices and products and solutions of various kinds and get them to go to scale, help them travel down the hall between teacher and teacher and school to school and state to state? Where do you see the problems right now with education? Is it just, is it just that it's not personal enough? Is that uh, enough of an no, answer? No, no. I mean, I think there are a whole range of issues that we actually need to tackle. Um, I mentioned very early on that I do think that it's really important that we identify that you know, if you say you're going to uh, work with a learner and if you use the language of personalized learning, you can't say you're going to personalize learning without understanding the status of the learner. So knowing where they are physically, mentally, emotionally, uh, and socially is important. And I think we have allowed ourselves to get caught up in an either-or conversation about rigorous academics or these other factors that are also important. And, um, in fact, it is both that matter. And so I think bringing those together is a really important thing to do to recognize how we're going to make dramatic progress. I think the second thing is, is this issue that I've talked about, that one of the things we've not been great about is figuring out how we get the thing that the teacher down the hall is doing really well to be figured out if that's something that can actually other teachers could be doing as well. So how do we actually vet these things, um, 
make them easier for other teachers to adopt and then help them to spread uh, effectively. Um, the third thing is that a lot of people, we ask teachers to do a lot to differentiate instruction or personalize instruction already. I mean, a teacher walks into a classroom and we ask them to know what a student knows, know what they don't know, know what they're interested in, and come up with a perfect instructional approach. And um, we believe that, um, you know, that you need more tools and resources than we often provide teachers in order to do that, but also that you can provide students with more tools to actually manage their own learning, to have more agency in what they're learning, um, and to be able to demonstrate what they've learned and make progress on their own and with support uh, more, uh, more in ways that are more in their control. There's an assumption in here that there's going to be a tech solution to this. Well, I mean, I think that there's two parts, two things in particular that technology can do for you. Uh, one is when you say you want to reach lots of people and you want to do it in a way that allows you to, to, to meet their more personal needs, there clearly have been lots of applications of technology to do that in other contexts. I think the second thing is that um, one of the big things we have to do now is to figure out how to learn faster about learning. And when you use technology, one of the things that happens is that the learning process gets tr becomes transparent, not just the outcomes of the learning. And so for the first time, we'll have lots and lots of ability to understand how many different people are learning in many different contexts and to use that insight to come up with better ways of learning and teaching. So when you sort of had this opportunity to take this position, the fact that it was this sort of part philanthropy, part investment yeah. vehicle, how important was that for you? It was very important. The symbolism is, of it is, is that Mark and Priscilla are very focused on using whatever tools they can to have impact in the world. This mission is important enough that it's a whatever-it-takes kind of mission. The second is that I've been in this space long enough to know that the barriers to actually doing great work and doing it at scale come in multiple forms. They come in forms of... Uh, the things that our nonprofit community are doing and could be doing at a broader scale with grant money. But they also come in terms of the kind of incentives that our for-profit companies have to do great work, and, and we know that they know how to go to scale. But you've got to be able to get those things in balance. And we know that in order to create the incentives for that to happen, that you have to have the policy and regulatory environment right, too, or you can wind up with bad actors in the sector. So having all of those tools available to be able to work across all of those different parts of the sector and use them for good, that's a very, very powerful thing to me. When you were at the education department, um, you were involved a little bit with my Brother's sure. Keeper initiative. How much of that do you expect to be able to sort of carry into the CZI initiative? Well, I mean, I think one of the things that's true is that... Well, the principles of that, I guess. Sure. Perhaps, yeah. um, the principles are pretty straightforward, right? What you say is that when you look at how you're going to drive outcomes, whether it's for boys and men of color or disadvantaged youth or, frankly, anyone... There are milestones along the way that matter. Are you ready for school? Can you read by third grade? Do you have a good transition to high school? Do you graduate high school? Do you get into a great post-secondary option, whether that's training for a great job or into a college for something bigger and better later on? Um, all of those milestones matter. And of course, when we do our work to try and do innovative solutions, we're gonna do it against things that matter in people's lives, like being ready for school. Um, the other thing that is true is that you can't say that you're going to provide equality without going through equity. And so the difference being you want to be able to treat everyone the same, but if everyone's not starting at the same starting point, then you need to meet people where they are and figure out how you get them to an even playing field. Um, we very much recognize the need to be able to do that. Also why we pay close attention to the whole set of needs that kids have when they come to school, and we'll bring that to the table as well. I think there's a tremendous opportunity for overlap, but it is a, um, a universal mission with very specific strategies that you have to use to reach populations that have been underserved. 
Um, you've, so far with CGI, you've announced a couple of education investments. What are you, what's even the nature of the kinds of things you're going to be investing in or, or promoting? Yeah. I, I, so I, I think that um, they go back to what I described as what are the big challenges and opportunities in the sector. Um, the reality is that we have a real opportunity to take all the things that are happening wh- that we're coming to understand from learning science and all of the technological advances that we have and say, how do you put those things together to come up with new and better solutions that enable learners to learn on their own, but as importantly, enable teachers to do what we ask them to do every day, which is change people's lives. And so we're going to be working very hard on producing breakthrough solutions. We're going to be working hard on helping to um, both uh, encourage and support directly a uh, much more robust R&D sector than exists today, uh, focused on improving learning outcomes. So a lot in learning science? So there'll be a great amount of stuff in learning science, both codifying what we already know, but also talking about how do we organize ourselves to do the kind of interdisciplinary work that brings it all together. Kind of in the same way, I know that recently they announced a pretty big initiative in the yeah. health science fields, something think, comparable in the works you, now for education? I think you could imagine that there's a big part of the work that will be very similar, right? I mean, building tools that actually help people learn faster about learning, um, bringing people together in unusual ways um, and in unusual configurations to try and come up with very different kinds of solutions. Um, advocating and helping to mobilize people around this increased funding and support for learning sciences as well as doing the work to bring more people into the field of studying the learning sciences. So I think you can imagine that kind of work um, but in, and then also think about real solutions on the ground. You know that Mark and Priscilla are, have, have, have made significant investments in supporting a school model called Summit Personalized Learning Platform that they co-developed. I think you'll see us doing that kind of work as well. We can help put solutions on the ground that help kids and teachers today. Um, and I think you'll help see us, uh, you know, um, um, uh, previously they did some great work to invest in helping to get the infrastructure for connectivity to schools done. And I think that won't be a big focus of our work, but we know the next frontier is home. Um, and so how do we make sure that every kid has an opportunity to be connected at home as well? I mean, on the life science side, one of the big um, innovations in that, pro- in that project that was recently announced was a way of, as you said, putting scientists together in different ways. Sure. Is there sort of an opportunity to do that with learning science as well? I think there definitely is an opportunity. I'm not ready to talk sp- about the specifics. Come on, yet. really? <laughs> but but what, I, what I will say is that, you know, we don't have many places where you put together learning scientists with acti- educators and practitioners, with uh, students who would benefit, with entrepreneurs and investors and engineers who can actually think very differently about how you solve the problems that those people are trying to solve every day, drawing on that learning science. And so I think that when you imagine what we might be able to put together, you can imagine spaces where you've got highly instrumented sites with good, rich data backbones and the resources to actually begin to develop together with those kinds of collections of people, solutions that are either better versions of what we do today already or even entirely different visions of what's possible. So, given, drawing on your education department background, there was something called the fun, there's something called the Fund for the Improvement of Post-Secondary Education yeah. in the Ed Department. You're sort of envisioning kind of like a super tech-enabled version of that. Well, I mean, so I, I think that the idea that they used in the in, FIPSI is the, the short name for it. They're using the FIPSI program of um, being able to have those people that are at the university come up with ideas and then figure out how to get them done. I think that is exactly right. I think that um, not only just infusing the technology, but infusing people with different areas of expertise and having them work together, that's an important part of it. Um, but we'll see how it, how it comes together. One of the things that I'm clear is that um, there's this uh, thing I learned about from the Silicon Valley folks. They call it Joyce Law. 
And Joy's Law basically says that no matter who you are, most of the smartest people in the world don't work for you. And so uh, the way I take that is that the best ideas are out there uh, about how to do this work as well as what some of the solutions may be. And so I'm going to take our strategy to a certain point and then engage lots of other people to get their voices in. And then I'm sure they'll come up with even better ideas than I would have thought of already. So uh, you call yourself a tri-sector connector. And I guess that's because of your business and gov- your experience with business and government and in philanthropy. What have you learned from that? I think I learned a few things that are really important. Um, the first thing I think is that, uh, kind of going back to our earlier conversation, people walk around with lots of biases and stereotypes. And whether you are a government person who has a stereotype of what people in business think, or you're a business person who has a stereotype of how government people work, people walk around with these, these stereotypes of what they think other people are thinking, and it makes them uh, create odd incentives for each other or work with each other in strange ways where they don't really communicate fully. And I think that there's a real opportunity if we find ways to leverage these sectors together to go to the second thing, which is there are lots of things that are in common. Uh, people that are in the nonprofit sector and the public sector often get uncomfortable talking about markets and market dynamics. But the reality is supply and demand works in the nonprofit sector as well as in the public sector. Um, you know, the lack of uh, the number of high-quality schools is a scarcity of supply. Um, uh, parents who want great options for their kids is a certain amount of demand. And there's ways that those things play out that are very much similar to the way business plays out. Um, business knows how to take things to scale. Like, that's what they do and how their incentives work. Um, there are lots of things that we need to figure out in the nonprofit and public sector about how to do that. Um, the nonprofit and public sector understand the complexity of operating in environments with diverse populations. Oftentimes, the things that you see businesses stumble around on quite a bit. There's a lot each of the sectors have to learn from each other, and we can capitalize on those learnings and what each does best. Um, I think we can create a new wave of solutions. Um, and the last thing I'll say is this assumption that everybody does the best they can and uses the tools that they know, um, there's a lot of truth to that. And there's great talent in every one of the sectors. Uh, and we give each other the benefit of the doubt, we can, we can definitely crack really important problems. So the Facebook motto is, I guess, move fast and break stuff. <laughs> yeah. Is that going to be the CZI model, motto as well? I think there's definitely a sense of urgency and a definitely a sense of being willing to try things, um, recognizing that they're not all going to work, uh, and that one of the ways that you learn is to do things as opposed to keep thinking, them, keep thinking about them and thinking about them. Um, but I think that when you're dealing with people's lives, like the idea that you're just going to break things as you go, uh, you know, you have to, you have, to use, have more respect and humility and caution as you go. Um, and so we'll definitely uh, do that appropriately. Education's not the same as someone's personal page. Right, or, or their app. right? Or their app yeah. or whatever <laughs> the case might be. So we'll have that, that respect and humility as we approach the work. That said, we're going to learn by doing. Um, and we're going to learn by building, we're going to learn by investing in other people. Um, and uh, we know that um, like analysis paralysis is a real thing. And so while we need to be thoughtful, like uh, people look at the amount of resources that uh, Mark and Patilla have uh, and that CZI has and think it's a lot of money. Is that something like $30 billion? Uh, even a little bit more than that. But the reality is uh, in the education space, in K-12 education in the U.S. alone, we spend over $650 billion per year. So if you're going to do anything that's going to have radical transformation or improve even um, a sector that big, one that's trillions of dollars worldwide, uh, then you really have to be thoughtful about where you're placing your bets. 
and how you're engaging others and how you get more leverage out of every dollar that you spend than just your own impact. And so that's how we'll be thinking about it. We'll be doing things that allow us to learn really, really quickly. I mean, I say a lot, we need to learn fast, learn fast, learn fast. That is our theme. And also, where is the leverage? Where are the levers to have broad impact um, so that we're changing as many people's lives as possible for the better? So Facebook has been taking some heat itself in the wake of this election, some concerns about how it might be sort of facilitating people's um, misunderstanding of the news in some cases. There's this whole controversy about fake news right now and whether people have enough information literacy. Is that something that you think CZI needs to be focused on a little bit more, helping yeah. with information literacy as, a, as an educational priority? So what I'll say is that, one, I just want to make sure it's clear that, you know, Chad Zuckerberg and Facebook are two totally different entities. Um, and uh, there are going to be priorities that emerge for them every day that we are... Uh, uh, we'll always consider it in the grand context, but not uh, not have. I, don't, I doubt it would ever have disproportionate influence over over our long term or even short term agenda. That said, our broader definition of success uh, in the education space means that people can, you know, do the kind of complicated work uh, and live in the complicated society that. Uh, surrounds all of us and will uh, inevitably persist as long as uh, we keep evolving as human beings. So when we say we want to give everyone the opportunity to recognize and realize their potential, that means they need the skill set to operate in today's world. Um, and that, being able to take in lots of information and discern what it means, that's definitely a part of it. What role, do you, if any, do you see for CZI in sort of policy advocacy? I know at the Gates Foundation... Um, they did a little bit of that, yeah. in some cases to advantages, in some cases to a disadvantage. We're, we're still figuring it out. I mean, the reality is there are certain policies that is clear create more space and opportunity for certain things to happen. So I'll give an example. Um, the E-rate program is a program from the, the FCC that funds connectivity to schools. Um, uh, you know, getting the E-rate uh, um, regs change to uh, increase the amount of funding and allow it to be used for wireless and lots of things that let you do great technological solutions in school and give access to low-income kids. Um, that's pretty important. Um, so we, you know, we'll lean in on those kinds of things. Um, you'll see, you know, there are places that have recognized that that um, competency-based education, being able to progress based on demonstrated mastery as opposed to seat time. Like, that's important to being able to uh, have an environment where um, you can actually personalize learning and people can move at their own pace. Um, so we'll look at policies like that, that you know, mostly state-level stuff. But we, who knows? Um, uh, there are lots of people working on those issues. Um, I'm sure we'll be supportive where we can. And then uh, over time, we'll see what role uh, and voice we feel like we need to lean on in the, in the policy space. Foundations like Gates and Lumina when they set their priorities, they tend to have an outsized influence on the sector. Even if they're not funding something themselves, people sort of see that and other projects start to follow some of the same priorities even if they're not directly funded by them. Do you hope to have, that CZI has the same role? So what I'll say is that both at CZI and, frankly, if you look at my career, especially in the last years in the government, that um, that what I hope actually influences the field is data, evidence, and a learning posture about what works and what doesn't. And that if we are focused on doing that kind of work, 
Sure, I'd love for that to have a disproportionate influence on the sector, that we can continue that trajectory of education being a sector that looks to data and evidence in order to decide what it deserves to be put in front of our children day to day. What scares me is the idea that people won't give us the kind of insight that we need about how our work is going. Um, people won't speak truth to, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, people who, uh, I mean, it's just, uh, it just is human nature that if you are in need of resources and there's somebody there who has them, um, you tend to find a way to like, make sure that they uh, want to have a conversation with you. Sometimes it's by telling the truth, but most people don't assume that. So, last question. I looked at LinkedIn the other day, and um, according to LinkedIn, it still has you as working at 2U. Oh, does it? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I guess my real question is, do you have a Facebook page, and is it updated right now? Yeah, so my LinkedIn page has not been updated. I guess I should take care of that. Um, uh, I do have a Facebook page. Uh, thank you for asking. I now finally have a public-facing <laughs> Facebook page, uh, and it is up to date, um, though I am just now starting to put content on it. And is that a way for people to reach you? People can reach me straight through either the CZI Facebook page or my personal uh, or, or my professional Facebook page that's associated with CZI. Well, thank you very much for coming in to talk to us. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Hopefully this was helpful. And we'll look forward to some of your first announcements in weeks, months. 2017. 2017. Yeah. Thank you very much. This has been the ReLearning Podcast. It's part of the Chronicle of Higher Education's coverage of innovation at colleges. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or the podcaster of your choice and take a moment to give it a rating. You can sign up for our free newsletter and read our articles at chronicle.com slash relearning. Today's show was edited and produced by Brock Reed. Our theme music was by Jason Cadell. We'll be back soon with more conversations about the new learning landscape.